Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. A special thank you to our sponsor, Equithrive. This one goes out to all the horses with the crusty necks, fleshy backs, and girthy middles. The horses who gain a few extra pounds simply by breathing air. The easy keepers on limited pastures. The folks at Equithrive know there is nothing easy about easy keepers. That's why they have formulated products just for you. Equithrive's Metabarol is a pelleted supplement that is scientifically proven to support healthy metabolic function and a healthy inflammatory response in horses. It's bona fide joint and metabolic support, all in one easy to feed pellet. Visit equithrive.com today and use the promo code HUMBLEHOOF to get 20% off your first order plus free shipping. www.equithrive.com. Since learning more about bodywork through some of my past podcast episodes, I've become more interested in how the horse's body and issues with the horse's body affect their feet. I found Christy DeCola through a friend of mine, a hoof care provider out in California, and she has seen some really amazing things when it comes to high-low syndrome in horses and a whole bunch of other issues when she addresses the horse's body. She has a unique rib entrapment balancing technique that is super interesting to me. So when I reached out to her to see if she would chat with me about it, I was really excited when she agreed. Why don't we start and you can tell me a little bit about your journey into studying fascial connections in horses and, you know, how they affect soundness. Okay. Well, I um, started about 20 years ago into the whole equine wellness journey. I uh, was at the University of Georgia going to be a veterinarian in animal science program. And I was in that program. I decided that veterinary medicine wasn't for me. And I thought that I wanted to be a horse trainer, um, a natural horsemanship trainer. So while I was involved in that and I was living on a big ranch in Ocala, Florida with my horse, my horse stepped on a nail in the pasture and it went into her navicular bursa and she had to get a straight nail procedure to basically clean out that navicular bursa. And long story short, many surgeries later, I ended up losing her in the long run anyways. Obviously, I was devastated from that. And during that whole time, I was asking for help and other things to be doing with my horse to help her. She was my heart horse. I'd have done anything with her. And really, and this was about 10-ish years ago, there was really not an emergence of equine wellness bodywork industry yet. There's just a little bit of chiropractor, but you know, the vets didn't offer me any solutions other than medicine and more surgeries. So about a month later, after we put her down, I had another horse that I had rehabbed for somebody and I'd rehabbed a suspensory injury for them. But when I touched his back, he dipped down. Like it was still to this day, one of the worst back issues I've ever seen. And I had the vet out and they said he had kissing spine at six. And I said, well, what can we do about that? And he said, well, we can inject it. And I said, okay, well, thank you very much. 
And I went home that day and decided to go to massage school and for horses and my life changed. I never looked at them the same again. And I went to massage school in Ocala, Florida, and I started working on my own horses that I had. And I saw that their personalities or their horse analogies, however you want to say it, started changing. And they just started coming to center and all of their imbalance issues were going away just from the body work. And I started doing my friend's horses and I just decided this is what I wanted to do. And as I am doing my body work, I realized that going from how I learned from starting, you know, at the pole and working down the neck and, you know, working along the back and that wasn't working for a lot of the horses. So I just started working on different areas of the body. And one of the areas was in the middle of the body in the ribs. And I realized when I started working on the ribs, other areas just started releasing, so to speak, and they started softening. And I thought that was really interesting. And I took a kinesio taping course through rock tape. And through there is where I learned about anatomy trains and the myofascial lines. And then I sought out the myofascial lines in horses and I found the research paper uh, written by um, Ricky Schultz. And I went and drew them all out, all the muscles and everything. And I just memorized them and I just started finding ways to work on those myofascial lines to balance them out. And it's it's made a huge difference in the horses. And it's kind of given me a map or a GPS system, so to speak, on how to trace back lameness issues very quickly. That's so interesting. And I've been hearing more and more about myofascial connections recently and just how important they are. So I was wondering if you can kind of talk about what might cause issues with fascial connections and what are some of the most common issues that you come across when you're working on a horse? Well, there are a lot of different things that I see that cause the myofascial changes in the horses. One of the problems is is the myofascial lines are basically, let's see, an easy way to think of them is they're groupings of muscles and joints that are strung together for a particular movement or a function. And the body is set up so it alternates between hinges and uh, rotational joints. So hinge is one degree of motion, rotation is multiple degrees of freedom. And this results in spirals for effective movement and transference of coordinated power. And so when one of those muscle groupings is restricted from like, let's just say from a saddle not fitting properly, then that force transmission has to go somewhere else. And another part of the body, another part along that line has to pick up the slack for that. And then it tenses up. And um, it's really interested. And one of the um, interesting things I just came across is how hyaluron in the fascial tissues is directly influenced by all of this. And it actually builds up and gets densified, so to speak. So I know when you, we see the horses and they look really tight and they have like rippling muscles and you see body work on them and then afterwards they look all smooth. So what we're doing there is we are changing the chemical state of the hyaluron in the tissue, which I think is really cool because we can change it by different sliding and gliding motions and cross-fiber friction and shearing motions and also by heat therapy. And so what happens is when muscles have to basically pick up the slack from other areas of the body, that they get tighter in some areas, basically. So is the hyaluron, is that something that's just naturally in muscles or what is that? 
Well, a hyaluron is naturally occurring in the fascia, and it's just been found by Carla Stecco, who is a big fascial research doctorate. And she just found that there are specialized cells in the fascia, the extracellular matrix called fascial sites. And they are in areas where they have higher planes of movement, like joints, and where a lot of muscles in the deep fascia are sliding and gliding against each other, and they respond to movement. So hyaluron is actually made in the fascia to respond to movement to help the tissue slide and glide against each other. So when a horse has an acidic environment in the tissues or it's overworking or if there's a lack of movement as well, then this these hyaluron's tend to self-aggregate and bind to each other. And this is where we see muscle spasms and knots and a buildup of tissue in areas. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, I assume that has to do with why so many people, I mean, I've heard of like hyaluronic acid and why people are recommending that for arthritis or things like that. Is that kind of playing on the same sort of idea? It is kind of playing on the same idea, but our bodies actually make it themselves. The problem is, is if the tissue gets kind of gunked up, think of like um, hyaluron should be more like honey after you just buy it from the store. When you pour it out of the jar and it just comes out smoothly. But if you keep it on the shelf for too long and don't use it, it gets kind of gunked up and crystallized, right? So that's the same thing that Hyralon does. So if an area stops moving because it can't, because it's in pain or it's smudged because the um, nervous system, the neurology of the area is somehow compromised and the area stops moving and those hyaluronic molecules bind and they self-aggregate to each other. But if everything's moving properly, then everything, the hyaluron is recycled through the system and those fascia sites just keep making new hyaluron. So actually our body makes it itself, but it responds to movement. And it sounds like basically anything can cause these fascial interruptions, like any kind of, like you mentioned saddle fit, but I assume like any kind of like injury or compensation, it can cause that problem. Anything. Okay. So saddle fit, say if a saddle is pinching on latissimus dorsi on one side, which is that big sheet of muscle that's running from underneath the forearm, underneath the humerus, and it's going up all the way to the thoracolumbar fascia. And that is a major muscle in a lot of different lines. One of the major lines is the, a functional line that it's on. It's a spiral line around the body. If a saddle is impinging on the latissimus dorsi, so to speak, then that is going to directly affect the stifle on the opposite side because of the functional line is going from underneath the origin, underneath the humerus, and it sweeps up over the back. It crosses over the thoracolumbar fascia and it comes down the tensor fascia ladder onto the stifle. It comes back up the inside of that diagonal hind leg up through the gracilis. It crosses back over to the other side of the body through the rectus abdominis and it comes back up to the deep caudal pectoral. So you have a really nice line, of a myofascial line that's running and it's kind of running around the body to stabilize it and the transfer force from the diagonal hind to the front four. But if you have a saddle impinging on that area, then that's going to break down that whole chain. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense. And then, so then my next question is like, obviously I'm so focused on the distal limb and hoof issues. Like where do you see this manifesting in lameness or hoof issues? Well, one of the interesting things that I've recently been studying for, I'd say about the last year is there's a rib rotation I'm seeing. And it's generally to the left where the entire rib cage Well, not the entire rib cage, ribs one through eight. So your true ribs generally are rotating and they're shifting to the left. So what that is doing is that's causing that left scapula and the left shoulder to come up. So you know how we're always dealing with the high left shoulder and the low right shoulder. And then we have that little dip on the right side that our saddles are always falling into. So when that occurs that more weight is obviously being put on that right fore and the left fore is being brought up. And I believe this is where our high-low syndrome is coming from. And it's also causing a deviation on that right medial hock because you have, let's see, your deep digital flexor and your common digital flexor that are running down from the ulna on the front leg and it's running down all the way over the navicular bone onto the coffin joint. So if there's any tension above that, it's going to be pulling on those muscles. And that's generally when I'm working on horses, I do a lot of work on the forearms. The majority of the work I'm doing on the radial carpal extensor, the common digital extensor, the deep digital extensor, and the deep digital flexor muscles before they turn into tendons because they're just so stiff and tight from stabilizing and trying to balance that whole horse especially if there's more weight being placed on that right fore. A special thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Cavallo. For our Humble Hoof listeners, they are offering 20% off their Cavallo Trek hoof boots using the coupon code HRN at checkout. The Trek is the world's most popular and versatile hoof boot and Cavallo's toughest trail boot, while also doubling as an option for therapy or rehab. The front closure system makes it easily adaptable to various hoof shapes, and the TPU upper design allows for maximum strength while minimizing weight for the comfort and ease of movement for your horse. These are recommended by vets and trainers and also loved as transport boots by barrel racers, ship jumpers, dressage riders, and everyone in between. Again, for 20% off a pair of treks, use the code HRN at checkout at cavallo-inc.com. And so when you're talking about this rotated rib issue, what do you know what that comes from? Or like, you're obviously seeing it in a lot of horses. Is that something that they're born with? So there's some studies lately, and it says that a lot of them are born with it. But I think there's some different things at play here. I think they could be born with it, but on unridden horses, I don't see problems manifesting that much from it. But when I see riders that are sitting more on the right side, and you could easily see this by turning your saddle panel, your saddle over and looking at the panels, and most of the time the right panel is compressed and flattened, which tells me that the riders are sitting more on the right. And if you think about how we're driving our cars all the time, and we're always using our right leg to press down, Right. And when I watch riders, they're always sitting more off to the right, and we're generally stronger on our right. So when I work on horses and I re- rebalance that rib cage, and it can be recentered, and then when you recenter it, the shoulders come back in alignment, everything comes back in alignment, and the hooves actually 
are more balanced on how they're loading. And um, when the riders are centered and they're balanced, the horses stay that way from month to month. But when the riders don't work on themselves and they don't balance themselves, the horses keep reverting back to that old posture and balance. So I think there's different factors at play. Yeah, definitely. And it obviously sounds like the owners are going to play a large role in making sure that this is, you know, kept up and maintained as opposed to it just being like your job as the body worker to go out and fix things. Or your job, right? So, you know, so much pressure, so so much pressure is put on the farriers to balance the hooves. But if, um, and this is one of the reasons I went and studied um, Pilates, become a Pilates instructor is because I, I don't know, after about five years of working in the industry as a body worker, I, I just saw that, honestly, the riders um, were, were playing a big part in the imbalance and the asymmetry problems we're seeing in our horses. And also after I started doing Pilates, I noticed my horses just started getting better. And when I see riders start working on themselves, from month to month, the horses get better wow. without any other interventions. And, you know, it makes all of our jobs easier. It makes the farrier's jobs easier for sure, because you guys are always being asked to balance the hooves. But it's kind of hard to do when they're loading improperly, especially on their front limbs. Right. And one of the other big issues I've been seeing lately, because when I I take a lot of pictures and assessments from atop the horse, from above them, and I've been taking a lot of pictures of their hooves, because you can learn so much from just being at ground level, as you know, taking pictures of the hooves, especially behind the hooves um, and behind the horse. And one of the things I'm starting to see is that left limb is not always touching the ground completely and a lot of horses the back of the hoof is often slightly lifted off the ground and i think that's because the functional line on the right side and that lat on the right is so tight that it's just pulling that entire right limb or the left limb up off the ground if that makes sense yeah and and so you know are if you, these are things that obviously you're seeing, like the the rib issues and this, what you're talking about with the left limb, like, are you the only one who works on this or knows how to work on this? Are there other people? Like, is this something that any body worker can go out and check if this horse, a horse is having issues with this? I know that, um, I forget his name. I I forget his name, but a chiropractor doctor that has been doing a lot of the research on the rib problems with foals. I believe that he has a method to help it, but so far I haven't come across a lot of people that are addressing the ribs in this way of actually bringing them back into balance. And if everyone at home or from your car and you're driving, just put your hands on your steering wheel and just take your ribs and just bring them around to the left. And if you do that and you have your hands, like say on the wheel, if you're driving, and you're not moving your hips, you're not moving your shoulders, you're just taking your ribs and you're bringing them to the left. And what you should notice is that that left shoulder comes back behind you and then the right shoulder is going to drop down and your right hip is going to be pulled down into an anterior tilt, which is what most horses have, which is why we always have this right hip that's always out, the right SI is always out. And the left moral coxal joint is always stuck as well. 
And we're seeing this rotation of the body, I think, is because the ribs are always out to the left, basically, which is just rotating the whole body around. So no matter what adjustments we do or what body work we do, is we don't bring those ribs back around to center, then everything's going to keep being pulled. And I think what's happening is ribs one through eight, especially especially the ones I'm finding five through seven are getting literally entrapped by the muscle attachments there. And it's causing neurofascial pain. And this is why we're having a lot of girth issues. And it's really easy to balance out these ribs through really easy interventions like using ISDM tool and some different kinds of neurofascial release techniques that are talking to the mechanical receptors in the fascia basically at different levels and sending signals to the brain to release that tissue. And it's easy. Like I, a lot of clinics I do, I have vets come, I'm having chiropractors, massage therapists. Oh, and I have a few farriers that I've taught this to, and they're having a lot of success at balancing the horse's body before they actually work on the hooves. And then it makes their job easier. But I also have a lot of just like housewives coming and amateur horse owners, like anyone can learn this stuff. It's not hard. As long as you learn how to assess it and spot it, which once you see it, you can't unsee it. And now every time you see that left shoulder pulled up and you can't fit the saddle and you're having to put shims in, usually what's happening is the ribs are rotating and it's literally just pulling everything and twisting the body out of balance. But yeah, anyone can do it if they just learn. Yeah. And so obviously, I know that you sort of kind of mentioned it already with what to look for. But say an owner's looking at their horse and they want to know if, if, if they should be worried about the ribs having this entrapment issue. What are some other signs? You obviously mentioned that left shoulder, but is there anything that they can spot on their own? Um, well, girthiness, first of all. If you touch your horse's ribs right in the girth area... A lot of times if there's an entrapment there, they're, they're not going to be touched there and they can, you know, get a little angry about it. And a lot of times that people might think that's ulcers, but I've worked on a few horses that you couldn't even touch them in that area. And then within 20 minutes, they were perfectly fine. Wow. No problems. Other ways is to stand in front of your horse and um, look at their shoulders and look at the sternum. And if the sternum is pointing one way or another then that means you have a rib rotation because the sternum is attached to the ribs or the ribs are attached to the sternum. Should we say the first eight ribs are attached to the sternum? So if that sternum is pointing one direction or another, that means the entire rib cage that attached to that sternum is also rotated. You know, stand on the mounting block and take your phone and take a picture from above the horse. And this is probably the easiest thing to do. And then look at that picture and see what level the shoulder, the scapula are. And what you're probably, most people are going to see is that there is that dip on the right side, which is where we're always falling into as riders. And that right shoulder is coming in a cranial ventral motion. A lot of times we've been saying over and over and over, like the left side is overdeveloped and the right side is underdeveloped. But what I have found that as soon as you balance the ribs up, that's not the case. Both look symmetrical. The left side of the back and the right side of the back, longus mistorsi, illicostellus, it looks balanced as soon as the rib cage is brought around. But what's happening is the entire rib cage is 
basically rotating. So the right is lower than the left and the left is higher and which is making the left look overdeveloped. And as soon as the rib cage is brought around as well, that right hip is also a lot of times it just steps back into, I want to say alignment, or you can get it back into alignment very easily after that. But if the rib cage on the right is basically spiraling down, it's the external obliques that are attaching from the rib cage onto the tubercoxy of the pelvis is going to pull it down and it's just going to keep it there, which is why we have to keep adjusting that right hip over and over. So if you have a chiropractor out and every time the chiropractor comes out, they say your right hip is out, you could have a rib cage issue. Oh, wow. And obviously, I know that you mentioned owners taking the initiative to sort of work on their balance in the saddle. But where would people go to learn more about how to, you know, release this or work on the actual horse and that side of things to resolve some of these problems? Well, I do clinics and courses for this, and we're working on some online courses right now, and they're not up yet, but the clinics, um, I am doing clinics now. Um, We have one in Texas this weekend and one in Georgia at the beginning of June and one coming up in California in July. So my website, I started at Equine Wellness Institute, and it's called Zenma Wellness. So you can go to www.zenmawellness.com. Or my website, which is www.cdsportstherapy.com. And yeah, I would love to help people with this because I think um, when we empower ourselves through education, like life just gets better with our horses. And I think it's amazing. Yeah. And it's been so fascinating to learn more about like how interconnected, I mean, obviously we know the body's interconnected, but how interconnected these issues can be. And when we're seeing these common issues, it's not just a coincidence. So I've been more and more interested about it and want to, you know, kind of expand my knowledge on it. Um, just because obviously like the hooves, I've said it a million times, like the hooves don't operate in isolation, like they're attached to a body and we need to make sure that body is working properly. (laughs) I know. It's amazing. There's like this beautiful symphony of muscles and fascia and joints all working together. And when everything is balanced, it works in harmony and synchronicity and everything's fluid. And, um, you know, you know, things happen, you know, things happen to the horse. They have injuries. And once there's that little kink, it sets off a cascade of different issues within the horse. But luckily, these myofascial lines and also, you know, the stay apparatus, um, there's been some research lately showing that the stay apparatus gets locked, especially locked in the position a bit, especially in horses that stand in stalls a lot. Mm. So if you just know these different areas of the body, and also we can't leave out the traditional Chinese meridians because those are all connected too. But if, if this gives us a really cool map of the body and all of these lines are a GPS system. And if we learn them and learn the techniques to balance them out, it just, it gets simple. It's really easy actually. And there's some major points of influences on the horse where a lot of muscles and tendons are converging together along, you know, different joints and different bony prominences. And once you know those points of influence, you can just go there, do some easy techniques um, balance out the horse. And you they also know when you're doing this and when you start doing this and you re- your relationship with the horse changes, which is, I think the coolest part of it is they know when you're helping them and they know when you're 
kind of getting a more sophisticated communication system with them because when we're communicating with the body via body work, we're actually communicating with the neuroreceptors in the fascia, which are directly translated up to the brain. And the horses know it. They live in their bodies. You know, we live in our brains, they live in their bodies. So we can communicate with them through body work. And, you know, I think they they uh, respect us more and they appreciate us more when they do that. And I think they try harder for us too when they know that we're trying. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I've said it to a few people recently, but I always say like our horses don't, they never asked to be with us. They never asked to be in the job that we're requiring of them. And so I want to try to make their life as easy as possible because we're, we like, you know, make them work a lot of the time. And I want them to be able to do that in a way that feels good for them. And it's making their life as pleasant as possible because they're giving us a lot of themselves, you know? Yeah. And they're amazing. They're amazing, amazing creatures. And they give us so much. I think, you know, and what all the farriers are doing out there and especially like the emergence of all these, I hate to just say women, but all these amazing women farriers, like coming up through the ranks and doing all the composite shoes. God, it's just um, so inspiring to see the direction that our industry is going in now and how everyone's starting to work together, which I think critical that we all start working together and communicating what we're seeing so that we can start piecing everything together and um, get an even better map and we can make the horses healthier and stay sound because that's what we want sound horses so that we can enjoy them and enjoy life with them yeah absolutely Awesome. Well, yeah. th- those are the main questions I had. I don't know if there's anything that, I mean, I feel like I know so little about this kind of topic that I wouldn't even know what better question to ask. So if there's something that you think that we should add, I'm happy to go over that too. I don't think so. I think we covered it. I think, um, no, I think for farriers though, um, I think if they start looking at the ribs though, in particular in conjunction with high-low syndrome, I would love to know what people are seeing. I mean, I only see, you know, so many horses and a lot of the horses I see on a monthly basis. I don't know. I think I see about a hundred or so a month, but you know, and every time I get a new one, I get excited because I'm like, Ooh, let me see what's going on with the hooves and the body, you know, because once you get them kind of balanced out after a few sessions and it's the same thing over and over. Right. But um, based on what's going on with that own individual horse, But yeah, if we could just all start, it would be so cool, I think, to have a database for us to all start communicating with each other and what we're all doing to help the horses. Because there's just so, so little communication between, you know, veterinarians and, you know, the equine wellness farriers out there and the body workers. And I think we all have something to offer each other to create a whole horse program and the trainers. Let's not forget the amazing trainers. Right. <laughs> yeah, so true. I know that the horses need a whole team. It's so true. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> we do too, though. I think people, I think the big thing is, you know, we can't leave ourselves out of that equation. You know, all these horses, you know, they've got their their farriers, they got their chiros, they got the body workers, the acupuncturists, the nutritionists, you know, custom fit saddles, and people forget about themselves. And we influence our horses more than any of that other stuff. Yeah. You know, I know good riders and good trainers that don't ride in that perfect custom saddle. And 
every horse that they ride is sound and balanced. Right. And it's because they're they're balanced, right? You know, so we can't forget ourselves, you know, and just do like 10 minutes of exercises, of balancing exercises, easy ones, before you go ride your horse. They'll thank you for it. Yeah. <laughs> Mine does. <laughs> right. So true. He, he doesn't want to slut me around when I'm, you know, not engaged in my core. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think this has been super interesting and I'm really excited to learn more. So I'm really thankful that you're willing to hop on this call and kind of chat with me about it because I'm going to go like check out your website too now. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was so great to talk to you. You too. I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. And thank you for taking the time. And I'm just so honored to be on your podcast. So thank you. (laughs) Of course. I appreciate it myself. So thank you. (laughs) Okay. Take care. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye.